You know, one of the most exciting things about working with Gun.io is I get to work with some of the most important consumer brands and fitness brands and enterprise brands. And what you find is that they're all looking for the very best talent and they're competing for it. And one thing I tell clients all the time is that, hey, you know, if you can develop um, the mindset to, to hire remote freelance engineers, what you're going to find is that it opens up the pool of available talent because you're not going to have to fight over the same group of FTEs from all the other companies in your space. And so now what we can do is bring you a cohort of people that other companies aren't competing with you against. And it's really a competitive advantage to take stock of that and find some excellent people you can bring on board. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Dave, it's great to have you, man. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks, Ledge. Great to be on. So, hey, if you don't mind, you know, maybe uh, give a little background story of uh, you and your work. Let the audience get to know you a little bit. Sure. So, I have quite a, probably a bit of a varied background for a lot of tech folks. Uh, my my initial after college work was 12 years in the Marine Corps. So, that's uh, definitely an interesting uh, leadership and learning experience. I uh, definitely don't regret it at all. Um, but at some point, it came time to get out. I, I started doing e-commerce uh, technical stuff, CTO of a small e-commerce startup for a while, and, um, and then decided I need to make some changes, so moved back to the East Coast, and that's where I got involved in my current role. I'm now a I started as a solution architect. I'm now the director of integration services for Vidato.ai, um, or if anybody has heard of them, Captricity, uh, we recently rebranded. So uh, what we do is, if you want to put it kind of in the, the modern buzz phrase, is the intelligent automation. Um, but, but really the core of that is this idea of capturing handwriting off of forms um, at a, a level that's equal to or better than human being using artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, quite, uh, quite fascinating stuff. You know, we deal a lot with highly regulated industries, insurance, financial, government institutions. You know, I think, I don't know what the exact number is, but I think that many of us, especially those of us in the tech world, would would be shocked at how many people in the United States every day do not get on the internet, don't use a computer. So there is a lot of, you know, a lot of the highly regulated industries that still require paper. And these places have... Uh, a lot of forms that go around. And in addition to that, they have a lot of these places literally have just like aircraft hangers full of paper, floor to ceiling of data that's never been captured. So it's literally a gold mine of paper. So we do a lot of, we call those more like the analytics type stuff. And, um, you know, so we get some of those and then we do a lot of the operational stuff, like literally as people are sending their forms in today to change their beneficiaries, we're processing that and extracting messy handwriting off of very poor quality scans from faxes and things like that. Um, and returning digitized data to them to, to be acted upon operationally. So, a lot of really cool stuff. You know, I, again, I'm on the 
kind of the integration side, and we can definitely get into some of the interesting stories there. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to take credit for the machine learning team. We've got some just unbelievably brilliant people with, you know, getting patents and stuff like that on this ability to read human handwriting off of off of paper. So that's that's where I'm where I'm at right now. Yeah, man. Wow. Well, so, you know, I so I looked at your resume and I was thinking about like, you know, you, you worked in intelligence and that there's got to be all kinds of interesting, you know, uh, signals and SIGINT types of, of stuff there that like did that that play at all into wanting to go into such a, a you know, sort of a data rich field or is that just like a happy accident? Um, well, the, I've always, I mean, from the time I was a kid, and this is I, I, the first time I ever had my dad take me to a recruiter was like the seventh grade, all right? So I always had this this mentality of like military, but I love to build things. You know, my initial thing was I wanted to be, I had wanted to be a combat engineer because their, their logo was like a guy with a shovel and a rifle, you know? So it's like, I can build something and I can shoot something. Shoot stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I I went there, but when I got after college, I, in college, I was electrical engineering. And then, you know, before computers were really a thing, so I'm kind of aging myself here, but, uh, but, um, you know, I, I got in the Marine Corps and the, the signals intelligence field, intelligence field was kind of, again, that combination. I, I love, I, look, I'm not going to lie. I can't at this point. I'm, I'm a complete geek. All right. But, you know, I'm in the Marine Corps and I love that too. All right. So, you know, it's just like, well, that's just the perfect match for me. I get to, you know, certainly some, something like the SIGINT field in the Marine Corps is going to be one of the more technical fields, you know, for, for something that's not typically considered a technical organization, but a, a pretty technical field. And we got to, to use at that time, um, you know, a lot of interesting equipment and stuff and, and actually get into some of the computer side of it as time went by. But, um, you know, so it's a good, it was a good combination and it just, it fueled, you know, that I, I mean, there was, if you talk about like pivotal, pivotal moments in your life, I can remember, you know, on, on my thesis project for my, my graduate degree, having to put together a network of 50 computers. And I'd never, I'd never really done that. And I, I worked, you know, 36 hours straight locked in a building just because I was just fascinated by it. And from that point on, you know, it was back in the early days of Red Hat where you still had to send away and get it on the disk, you know, and send it to you and stuff. And because um, you couldn't, you didn't have f- fast enough speed to download it all, you know. So, I mean, all that stuff. And it just grew from there. So when I got out, I hooked up with the e-commerce startup and, and I've just never looked back. I mean, I, I have, it's such a, it's such a wide range like that, that leadership side of hundred people in an organization leading that being responsible for it down to, you know, staying up late at night coding and learning a new programming language or something like that. So I kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah. Scratch all the itches. That's a, that's, that's a pretty good deal. Not everybody gets to say that. Um, yeah, you know, I I think there's a, a fascinating body of, of literature and work around, you know, the the armed services disciplines, you know, being brought into civilian work and the leadership lessons and all those things that, you know, like most of us just 
have not had access to. I don't know. Like, how do you draw on that on a daily basis? I mean, you, you look back and you go like, that's your regular career in life. And that's what you, you did. Uh, but there's just so much to learn there and like impart upon an organization. I'm, I'm just curious, like key lessons there, you know, what can the rest of us take away having not had that conversation? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'll tell you one of the, the fascinating things, the, the first time I ever had somebody start to go through like the whole agile, you know, scrum process, all the rest of it, I just kind of looked at it and I was like, that's what we never called it that, but that's essentially what we did in the military and in, in any of our stuff. I mean, we, you figure out where you're at, you figure out where you want to go. You, you figure out what, sh- you know, what step you should take. You take it, you reassess. Right. I mean, they literally they're in the military. The, the, I think John Boyd was the guy's name from the air force. They call it the OODA loop. All right. Mm-hmm. You know, observe, orient, decide, act. And you just keep repeating that cycle. And the whole idea is, you, you know, to, he was a, he was a Air Force uh, combat pilot and, and they came up with this OODA loop thing. And I think it's been picked up a lot in the business world. You know, you even hear that phrase. The whole point was you, you win, you beat the other guy by, by doing your loop faster. And, and so a lot of that really boils down to this very agile mentality of, where am I at? Where am I trying to go? And you take a little step, you know, you don't jump all the way from A to B, you know, and, and it's not, it's, it's not as you don't win by being a zero tolerance. There's going to be mistakes, um, you know, and beyond that, it's just, a lot of it is just good leadership skills in terms of, uh, you know, people, you know, I like, I think, what was it, PeopleSoft or something, they talk about like most, almost uh, all or almost no technical projects fail because of the lack of technology. They fail because of people issues. Sure. So bringing that into perspective, I've found, is a very uh, a big part of it is don't ignore the people part of it and just take those little steps and reassess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember doing, you know, after action reports or what have you. And, you know, everybody has their own sort of lexicon for it. But yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, coming out of a discipline of myself, you know, coming out of um, continual learning and, you know, continual improvement and things like that. Like it it always made a lot of sense to me. And and yet I don't know if you've had this experience and maybe, you know, sort of not with the software people, but I often find that uh, for whatever reason, agile is not the disposition that most folks come to the table with. And, and I always wonder like how it's so, it seems so logical and it makes so much sense. And yet virtually everybody needs to reprogram their brain to get there in the first place. I don't know. I don't know if you ever given any thought to that, but it, it, it always happens that way. We're just like, why is this, you know, call it waterfall, right? Like why does that disposition come naturally to us? And we have to have it, you know, kind of like, whipped out of us to start acting in the way that ends up being the most logical approach. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we definitely, you know, we deal with a lot of enterprise, you know, fortune 500 and above um, companies that are there. They've been around hundred plus years. I mean, a lot of that is just ingrained. I think sometimes there's a comfort level, you know, to just for people to just do things very, strict and and you know have have everything defined yeah 
and then do the loop. It's very, it's somewhat uncomfortable for a lot of people. I mean, true agile, that, that mindset of like constantly reassessing, constantly changing that that's very disturbing. I think for a lot of people in, in normal life, maybe it's the, you know, technology or, you know, business processes and such have reached a level of complexity where, you know, everybody, you know, military or wherever needed to realize that, we can't figure this out because there's too many variables. Uh, maybe, you know, the complexity of business and complexity of, of process and things that we're able to do with technology reach such a critical mass that you could try to plan. You, you're going to be so wildly wrong that, you know, it's not worth it. So let's all acknowledge uh, that reality. But uh, I don't know, you know, it, it always struck me that that it's not the regular disposition because you watch like a little kid trying to walk, right. You know, they're, they're not planning it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I wonder where yeah. does that get beat out of us? And <laughs> how does that become yeah. not the way to go? Yeah. So tell some, yeah. tell some integration stories. I mean, you must deal with some crazy stuff. I want to know how like a whole, what do you say? Aircraft hangar full of papers got, you know, gets scanned. I mean, forget about like the fact that you need to process what's on the paper, like scanning yeah. <laughs> that much paper. Yeah. This is well, look like. Yeah. Yeah, thankfully, thankfully, there are companies out there that actually do that. So thankfully, we don't have to do the scanning because, yes, that would be a monumental task. Um, I'll tell you, you know, one actually one of the podcasts I listened, uh, guys, Steph Kelsey from Notarize was talking about, use that, that word transformational. And it really, so many things that he said just struck such a chord because, that again, that's, essentially what we're doing. We're very transformational. We're going into companies that have been around 150 years and they have these processes and they're all manual and we are trying to transform them. You hear a lot today about digital transformation. You see advertisements during football games about digital transformation. You know, um, the thing here's, here's one of the most, I'll tell you this, this I love this story because it was one of the biggest light bulbs that went off for me in the past couple years of this is a lot of times, not surprisingly, we get pulled into these companies that have these paper workflows. They, they want to automate them. They, they need to be able to extract the handwriting. Now, not surprisingly, kind of just like, you know, the whole thing out of the movie script, we go in there and there's always a little bit of this tension. You know, I mean, you're looking people in the eye who they essentially think that you're there to, to remove them from their, that you're going to cost them their job. So then you try and start building this relationship. And over time, it, you know, now a lot of friends and stuff, you know, just on a, on a personal level, just very friendly relationships. But there's always that tension at the beginning. Now, we start working with them. And one of the things that it, it took me a little while to pick up on this, but there was like when, when our software, our SaaS solution, when our software would fail, it wasn't just this thing of like turn in a defect report. There was like this literal emotional glee, like a personal emotional glee on the part of the individual doing it. And like all of a sudden the light bulb went off our failure is a is literally a vindication of their self-worth as a human being in terms of doing the job and it was just this complete bombshell of oh my goodness how critical the human element is in it you know and and let me let me let me move that let me let me expand that story if you don't mind 
here's the next piece of it. So you might, the people might be thinking, oh, okay, so great. You come up with this, you know, machine learning solution. You can digitize the, the handwriting off a page. Okay, good, done. We just go out there. We just have everybody toss their, their papers in the hopper and, and off we go. We automate it. Well, the problem is, is that no form piece of paper with handwriting on it is really just that information. It's part of a business process, business logic. I mean, we ledge, we literally, I had an enterprise customer. If I said the name, everybody here would have heard of them. They literally said to me, we don't want what's written on the piece of paper. We want what they should have written. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, it's, is it, it's not enough to just figure out how to get handwriting off a piece of paper. Now we have to like trace back through ESP and get what the person should have written <laughs> oh. on the piece of paper. And the result is so, that, you know, I, I've had this conversation with, with AI companies and professionals mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Like what we're doing here is creating technology that gives superpowers to those people in those seats. And this is, is an augmentation mm -hmm. and not a replacement. And it exactly. like time and time and time again, um, and maybe that, maybe that conversation with, you know, whoever you're talking to, you know, is worthwhile. They probably don't believe you right away. You know, they've probably been fed that line before, but I mean, that is so yeah. true. Like they know so much tacit knowledge. There's no way you could ever program that ever. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's got, there's gotta be, it's gotta be a mix. Like I, I like the word to use augmentation, uh, you know, and I think that's, a, that's another, it's kind of just a side note. I mean, so many times I've seen where these companies come in and they have this idea that kind of the old school mentality, if I just, I'll just write a big enough check. And then one day we're going to have the ribbon cutting ceremony and we're going to push the big red magic button and we can dismiss all the people and we'll just be. And, and, and when they take that all or nothing approach, usually what ends up happening is a lot of frustration, a lot of, you know, wheel grinding and spinning and nothing. Oh, you end. end up with a total you know, disaster and, and all the people and right. you talk about the glee. I mean, all mm -hmm. the people yeah. will be like, right. you know, told you <laughs> right well it, it just entrenches them right. deeper into like oh yeah we tried that before and it didn't right. work right you and, know, and you because this, i don't know, you know if you ever involved with like an erp implementation or you know like there's all kinds mm -hmm. of these stories mm -hmm. of yeah we dropped five million dollars last year and it, it it doesn't work well right. it does work you don't work you know and you just a, have to use it right it's like any other tool i mean that my i love analogies and you might have picked up i mean so many times we have people trying to hammer in screws and, you know, uh, you know, use a screwdriver to put in a nail. And, and so, yeah, the end result of that is going to be a whole lot of friction. Right. And, uh, yeah, just put the wood. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm kind of, we jumped off there, but you know, I don't know, finish some of those stories. Like, I mean that you're so right on the, the transformation front and and the human stuff i mean you know it, it's almost like pareto principle is like 80 percent human you know it just it just almost doesn't matter like the technology is the cost of entry and it's so cool mm -hmm. that you can do these these things but i even noticed as part of you know when i looked at the technology before we we talked i mean you're very honest about the fact that there's a, a human interface there 
And, you know, mm-hmm. like just to, look, to what extent do you care about the mistakes? You know, if it's like an inconsequential mm-hmm. facts or, you know, whatever, you know, like get your best. Right. But if it's critical business or, you know, personal health information or whatever that is, like these things really matter. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, at what level and how much do you want that human intelligence to, to intervene and be human? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, the, it's a, it's a fascinating part of it. Um, for, you know, I mentioned like those aircraft hangers full of paper. A lot of times what those folks are looking for is to try and build models. All right. So you can have 5% error and still develop a, a, pretty decent model or really good model for what you're trying to do. You're looking back over decades. You're looking at, um, you know, tons and tons of data so you can establish pretty good patterns. Now, the the exact opposite of that is a lot of these operational workflows that we deal with. I mean, let's think about it. <clears throat> what's, what's one out of a thousand? What is that, like 0.1%? All right. I don't do math good on the well, podcast. Yeah. Um, but like, <laughs> 0.1%. So we could be at 99.9%. Now, now what though, how do you feel though, if you're that one out of a thousand and your, you know, personal medical report gets mailed to somebody in another state or your, you know, your claim gets rejected or, you know, I mean, there's like critical right. stuff here. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, even at 99.9%, you don't want to be right. that one. Right. So, so that's where, you know, all of a sudden now this whole thing of like, well, you know, single human entry data entry is like 93% or, or, or let's say it's 90%, probably more, more realistically, you know, so our, our software can literally do 93%. But at the end of the day, we're, we were saying that 99.9%, you know, somebody's data is getting messed up. I mean, so at the end of the day, it has to be, it has to be accurate. And that's the, that's where the whole human, you know, kind of that friendly robot mentality really came into play with what you mentioned. You know, we have what we call the review interface that allows um, their team now to focus on much more productive work and, and just spend a fraction of the time looking at the digitized data. And, and even in there, we have a lot of, we're able, you know, that's where my team really comes into play is building a lot of these validations and sometimes even to some extent business logic that's fed into the review. So now they're not even, they're not even looking at everything. I mean, the system is saying like, we're really confident on this. We're not as confident on that, you know, Oh, this is a required field. So on the form. So if there's nothing there, then I'm going to flag it for you. You know, Oh, this needs to be nine digits. I'm going to flag it if it's not. So now we're even narrowing the scope down and they can really, you know, they have a lot more time for other productive. Right. right. Work, and, uh, and so it, you know, it's the adding the intelligence in there that some human doesn't have to read all the things to figure out which thing might be wrong. Right. And you guys right. are able to really, I mean, I, so I imagine like finish the story or maybe our last, you know, sort of last topic, but what replaces that glee of failure? Once you find like when those light bulbs come on and somebody's life is better sitting in that, that job, you know, finish, finish the story on that side. Cause I have to believe that's probably highly rewarding for you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when we have these customers and they're, you know, I was asked that question uh, in a slightly different way by our former CEO. And he's like, you know, what's the positive side? And I was like, when it when it works, it's just magic. 
I mean, when they're, when you're, you know, you're sitting there with them on a screen share and they're using the system and this stuff is cranking through and it's just like this horribly messy handwriting and they're looking at it side by side and it's just like nailing every single thing and they're able to just, you know, click, you know, good, good, good. And, and the stuff is going through. I mean, yeah, it, it's like magic. And, and that's the, you know, that, like you said, that is an extremely rewarding uh, feeling and, and they love it and they, you know, they keep where they keep us very busy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I could see why you'd make some friends and be like, you know, um, it, it mm-hmm. kind of sells itself, you know, kind of after the fact there. So, well, hey, Dave, this is super yeah. interesting, man. You know, thanks. Thanks for spending the time. Um, great insights and uh, keep up the good work. Sure. Thanks a lot. Thanks again for having me. Really enjoyed uh, getting to meet you and talk. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.